Good morning, and uh, as we conclude our, our Christmas journey this year, um, having made it all the way through the 12 days of Christmas, um, which actually ended last Tuesday, uh, if you're counting, ended January 5th, would be the, the 12th day of Christmas, Epiphany was, was Wednesday, uh, and actually Wednesday we had a service that day, uh, but it was focused on, on renewing our covenant with Christ, uh, our Wesleyan covenant service. It was a poignant service, um, and, and I think that probably most of you saw an email that went out. Um, we did not live stream that service because there was a booklet that went along with that service, and we thought, if they don't have the booklet, it's going to be kind of awkward. Instead, we emailed everybody and said, here's a link to the service because we recorded it, and we also attached uh, a booklet um, Via, via PDF and attach that with that email. So if you'd like to participate in that service, I would, I would really recommend that you, that you take that time. Um, but it was sent out via email for those that were not able to, to join us on Wednesday. Uh, today, we turn uh, to one of the texts that was set aside for Epiphany. So uh, that lands on January 6th of each year. It's the culmination of Christmas tide or the season of Christmas, those 12 days of Christmas. Um, and the lectionary cycle, uh, the list of um, texts that we um, often follow as we go throughout the church year, has texts for study on many significant days. So Christmas Day has three, New Year's Day has one, Epiphany has one, Ash Wednesday has one, the Annunciation. That, that's the little church calendar trivia for you, what the Annunciation is, um, celebrated on 325, nine months before 1225, which is Christmas. The Annunciation celebrates Gabriel's visit to Mary, where she learns that she's going to be pregnant. Um, Palm Sunday has two. Each day of Holy Week has one. Easter has like three and a bunch of extra texts. And I mean, it just goes crazy on that day. Um, Mary visiting Elizabeth, Holy Cross Day, All Saints Day, Thanksgiving Day, and the final Sunday, Christ the King Sunday. So there's all these extra texts that go on. So preachers like me can't preach all the texts if we just get together on Sundays. Um, so we're going to get together on every one of those days this year. No, just kidding. Um, but sometimes we get to Sunday and we look back and we say, oh, that was a great text. We had to miss that one. Um, and and as, I, as, I, as I planned the preaching calendar, what I decided on this Sunday, the, the Sunday after Epiphany, was to use an Epiphany text um, for this Sunday. So what is Epiphany? Epiphany is the day we remember and celebrate the coming of the Magi, the wise men who came from the east. They came following a star. Uh, they came bearing gifts. Today, This year was kind of an interesting year because we had the convergence, right, of, of was it Jupiter and Saturn, if I remember my astronomy correctly and some people think some people believe that maybe that convergence of Jupiter and Saturn might have been partly to explain um, what the what the magi saw and so I, I even saw some some outlets report the Christmas star is here for 2020 um, we needed <laughs> we needed stuff in 2020 to help us along, right? Something to celebrate. Um, and whether it was that, whether it was the convergence, whether it was not the convergence, um, one of the things that 
that we that I that I find fascinating. I was talking to my daughter about this. Is that um, sometimes we read read in the Bible, and then and then there's things that we learn in science that that kind of help explain maybe some of what's happening in the text that they didn't really realize at that moment. Does that does that concern you about Scripture? Does that does that worry you? It doesn't worry me at all. That we learn stuff, and, and we might be able to explain. I find that fascinating. I don't think scripture and science are in competition uh, at all. And, and so, as we find out things and put things together, I think that's awesome. Um, anyway, Magi from the East who came bearing gifts. It marks the culmination of the celebration of Christmas. Um, the climax of the season of Christmas tide, and so I thought today we would focus on an Epiphany text. So today we turn to the Old Testament text um, for Epiphany. Um, I forgot to mark it in my Bible, so I'm going to have to find it. It's found in Isaiah. If you want to turn to Isaiah with me, um, chapter 60. Many of you have the scripture on device, and it'll be on the screen so you can follow along. But out of reverence for the the reading of God's word, I invite you to stand this morning as we read from Isaiah chapter 60. Verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, your light has come, the Lord's glory has shone upon you. Though darkness covers the earth and gloom the nations, the Lord will shine upon you, God's glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your dawning radiance. Lift up your eyes and look all around They are all gathered. They have come to you. Your sons will come from far away and your daughters on caregivers' hips. Then you will see and be radiant. Your heart will tremble and open wide because the sea's abundance will be turned over to you. The nation's wealth will come to you. Countless camels will cover your land, young camels from Midian and Ephah. They will all come from Sheba. Carrying gold and incense, proclaiming the Lord's praises. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, today it's fun to, to be diving back into to texts from the Old Testament, specifically <clears throat> from the prophet of Isaiah. Um, and as you followed along, you might have noticed that, that Isaiah is, is one that we return to a lot in Christmas time. We keep uh, dipping from that, <laughs> from that well and from the same area uh, in Isaiah as well. So Advent 1, the first week of Advent, this isn't a pop quiz, um, but we turn to Isaiah 64. Okay, Advent 3, the, the, the week we talked about joy and we had the kids musical, we talked about Isaiah 61 now. We turn to Isaiah 60. We're, we're kind of going backwards. <laughs> 64, then 61, then 60. But I, I think it's really important to understand what is, what is happening in Israel. And we've talked about this as we've, as we've covered these other texts from, from Isaiah. They're coming back from exile. Israel is returning from, from Babylon uh, and coming back. And, and as we looked in, in 64, so chapter 64, there's this, this lament as, as they stand amongst the rubble of the temple in Jerusalem. And they had been in exile for 40, maybe 50 years. And so lots of people who were there were either really young when they were in Israel or maybe they had never been to Israel. 
And they're returning back to, to this place, to this promised land that they'd heard so much about. And broken down, chaos, disaster, rubble. And Isaiah 64 embodies this lament. And, and, and in that lament, the prophet Isaiah says, we have reason to hope. And we light the hope candle. We lit the hope candle um, that last Sunday in November. Um, and, and then in, in verse, uh, or chapter 61, we talked about the year of the Lord's favor. Remember the tradition of, of the year of Jubilee and, and, and the returning of, of uh, wealth and the returning of lands to the ancestral owners that we talked about <clears throat> in, in chapter 61. And, and we lit the candle of joy. And, and we, we understood that, that for, uh, for us today, we see the coming of Christ as the year of the Lord's Jubilee. We're set free, that we're able to return to who we were created to be. And now, chapter 60, arise, shine, look, the nations are coming to you. So, so if, we, if we back up a little bit and put those into order, as they're, as they're coming to Jerusalem, as they're returning from Babylon, we start in verse 60. Look, the nations are coming to you. They're on their way. And then what does Isaiah talk about? He talks about the, the year of the Lord's favor. This is our jubilee. This is where our lands were returned to us. And yet they get to 64 and arrive in Jerusalem, standing amidst the rubble of the temple, the place where their faith was nurtured and founded and grew and was sustained. And they're devastated. But they say, we have this hope. In Yahweh, our God, our creator, that he will not let us down. And he will come through. These moments in the life, uh, <laughs> life of Israel have become uh, undeniably connected to the, to the story of Christmas, to the advent of Christ, to the coming of the baby. And that's what, that's what good preachers do. That's what good teachers, uh, even good prophets, link the past and the known narratives, what has happened in our history, to what is, to what is currently happening. You know, if, if, I don't always do it enough, probably, but, but for the folks of the Old Testament, they're, they're hearing these words, words that, uh, that call them back to the story that they had heard. And what are they thinking about? They're thinking about the last exile. They're, they're, they're thinking about the wandering in the desert. The story of exile. The story of being displaced. Of, of being away from where they were meant to be. Was not a new story for Israel. They remember stories of wandering through the desert. For how many years? About 40 years about the time that they had spent in Babylon. And they remember Abraham's call to come up out of Ur and then jump forward, writing the Gospels about Jesus, recalling the return to Jerusalem, remembering the people of Israel as they came out of Babylon and out of exile. Our task today is to ask, how are we connected how are we connected to that story? How are we invited into that story and into that 
narrative. Well, the text of today, first two words, arise, shine. What's going on? They have been in captivity and exile, banished to Babylon, spent 40 to 50 years away from their home. Does anyone have that one friend? <laughs> the, the, the one that's a bit too annoyingly positive. Like, just like, hey, today's a great day. It's morning people for me. You know, I'm not really a morning person, but people who can, boom, pop out of bed. They're like, it's going to be a great day today. I'm like, just let me wake up. I'll get there eventually. Isaiah's kind of that person. Arise, shine. Today's going to be a good day. Look what God's going to do. I'm not going to accuse Isaiah of always being there, right? Uh, we already talked about where he's headed. By 64, he's lamenting again. But even as they, they march towards the rubble of Jerusalem, Isaiah is calling out, believing the better outcome. Believing that nations are going to come and pay tribute to Israel. That they would bring the riches to Israel. <laughs> I want to tell you, as you read through the story of the Old Testament, this is markedly different from what is really happening in the Middle East those days. <laughs> that, that is, they were in exile. They were trudging their nation back to a ruined city. This is not, oh, look how great we're doing this is bold and defiant. This is Isaiah walking into an abandoned promised land. Bold and defiant saying, our current circumstances are not what God has for us. This is not who we were meant to be. <laughs> they, they never made the holy Israel empire. It was the holy Roman empire, right? I was reading Nagy Benson's commentary on this, this section of scripture. He quoted Walter Brueggemann as calling this an inversion of geopolitics. I never would use, choose to use the word politics or any form of that word in the middle of the sermon, but that's what Walter said, so I, I'm going to go with it. That, that this is an inversion of geopolitics. No one was tributing Israel in those days. No one was paying anything to Israel. People were barely paying attention to Israel. And that's the whole point of exile, to, to strip them of their culture, to strip them of their identity, that maybe they'll learn their lesson and maybe they'll just quietly go away. But here, Israel, or Isaiah proclaims the nations will come, the nations will, will offer tribute to the nation of Israel. This commentator concludes, the people of Israel are the people of God. Who they are as a nation is indelibly bound to whose they are. They belong to God. They are no longer under the thumbs of foreign rule, but rather in the care of God. That's the place I want to be. That's the place I want to be, in the care of God. Epiphany offers to us this same inversion of geopolitics in light of the coming of Jesus. A little bit of, of teaching about, about Epiphany. Many nativity scenes, we have one right over there. Uh, many nativity scenes include the wise men as gathered around the manger, the babies there, Mary and Joseph, you always have a few animals and whatnot. 
It's really good for the nativity scene. It's probably not historically accurate. Okay, uh, the, now the timing the timing of when the the wise men came is 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 probably not that night. Um, and uh, they could have been fairly close. They could have even been maybe even a couple years out as far as the timing when the wise men arrive. And Mary just says, thank you, <laughs> right? Like, Mary doesn't want three strangers, although they came bearing gifts. Um, uh, she doesn't want them there. Um, but it, it could have been a couple of years. Um, some scholars heading in that direction because when crazy Herod hears that the Magi didn't come back, what does he send out in order to do? Kill babies up to two years old. And so some scholars think that perhaps the wise men coming, this whole, this whole time that transpired, uh, could have been up to maybe even two years, two years of age, or two years between when, when the Mary had her, Mary had Jesus, and when the Magi arrived. These Magi in the Gospel of Matthew didn't didn't expect any inversion. They didn't expect things to to be so so wonky, so weird. So so where do they go? Follow the star. They arrive in Israel. Where's the capital? They go to Jerusalem. Why would they go to Jerusalem? Because that's where the new king would be born, right? They went to see the leaders and said, where's this baby whose star we have seen? Herod, being jealous, being crazy, being power hungry, not wanting to yield to this new king. Hmm, I haven't heard who's going to be king of the Jews. Figures out this plan. Use the foreigners Go find the baby, get their intel, go to find this baby, eliminate the threat. So he sent them to Bethlehem. The, the, it's always interesting to me. Herod knew how to find out. Herod had the resources to know where Messiah should come from. And he gathered those resources and gave that information away. He says, go find him. When you find him, come back, tell me so I can honor the child as well. Um, when the Magi arrive in Bethlehem, if you look closely at the text, it says that they entered what? They entered the house. Uh, uh, further indication that they're no longer out in the stable with the animals, right? I don't think they kept the animals in the house. Some people keep some animals in the house. We're not pet people. Um, but they entered the house. They're no longer with the animals on Christmas Eve night. What did they do? They fell to their knees. They worshipped him and offered tribute. Here we find the same inversion of geopolitics. These magi, respected men, perhaps even nobility, certainly well off and educated, educated enough to watch the stars, to, to notice this change and to follow the star to the nation of Israel coming from the east to do what? Worship a peasant child, son of a carpenter, and a disgraced teenage mother. Certainly we see echoes of, of the Isaiah text here. Nations coming, gathering from all around, from far away, the abundance turned over to the baby. In verse 6, they will all come carrying gold and incense, proclaiming the Lord's praises. The link here is undeniable. 
Isaiah, Isaiah held the text, including two of the three gifts mentioned in the Magi's story. A fulfillment of the text of Isaiah, but still an example here of Brueggemann's inversion. The peasant infant lauded by the wise men carrying gifts of extreme worth. Too often today, we miss the chance to participate in the inversion. Too often today, it's the powerful who are inflated. <laughs> we, have, we have a job called social media influencers. Their job is to get people to like their pages and try the stuff they try. They get paid to be influencers. Too often we look to the ways of man, power, control, coercion to achieve our means. The ways of the gospel are much more, as one professor of mine is known to say, subversive. The ways of the gospel uh, don't, don't just follow the, the normal method, the normal means. We follow a Jesus who showed up to a peasant teenage mother in Bethlehem, out with the animals because there was no room at the time that the baby was, be, was to be delivered. We follow a peasant child who was worshipped by magi, who traveled from the east and whose presence, the presence of the baby was announced by nature <laughs> and not in the government center of Jer Jerusalem. And I think that's really good news. Amen? And ask the praise team to come on back up as we close today. Romans 12, 2 said this, Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't fall into the same habits. The mission of God is to, as found in verse 1, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is our spiritual act of worship. This is how we worship God. This is how we participate in epiphany. The gifts that the wise man brought were gold and frankincense and myrrh. The gifts that Paul mentions in Romans is our very selves to offer ourselves as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. And today, this is how we participate in this inversion. We get to continue to do things in a totally different way, a totally different manner. We offer our gifts today in the same way the Magi did, coming to the feet of Jesus, not to the power centers, not to the people in control, not to the influencers of our world today. Our allegiance and our worship belongs to one, Jesus Christ. Amen? whose gospel is good news, good news for all. If the church can do that, be consistent in that, then perhaps we get a glimpse of Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, your light has come. The Lord's glory has shone upon you. Though darkness covers the earth and gloom the nations, the Lord will shine upon you. God's glory will appear over you. May it be so. May it be so. Let's pray, and then we'll sing. God, today we, 
We express our desire to offer our gifts only to you. (laughs) May we follow the example of three guys from the east, maybe three, we don't know the number for reals, (laughs) from from men who, who journeyed from the east, found themselves worshiping this baby in this nondescript place out of the way. May we throw our lot in with them, worshiping at the feet of Jesus as we celebrate the coming of the Christ child this year. Take our, take our gift, God, the gift of our, our living sacrifice and transform us into something new, something beautiful. Make us into who you would have us to be, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Let us adore him. Amen? Amen. I invite you to hold out your hands to receive the benediction as we conclude this morning. May we never settle for offering our lives to anything less. And may we come again to the infant child and offer our gifts, our very lives. Take us, God. Transform us into something new, we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ. Thank you.